Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity. Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain, but we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door. clip that right out but i might leave it in (laughs) hi welcome back to our podcast the ugly truth about the girl next door i'm kate and i'm Lori. and yes the universe probably does hate us (laughs) i didn't actually mean for that to be there but maybe we'll leave it it is what it is it is what it is so today we are talking about we're answering a huge question that i've been asked repeatedly not only have i been asked but um I actually was talking to a friend the other day in uh, who lives in New York City, who has another friend of ours that lives in LA, and uh, my friend told me that this question is the number one thing people ask her when she talks about, like when she shares my story with other people. So the fact that that is out of our immediate area suggests this is a, a question that even people who aren't naysayers yeah. are wondering. Yeah. So we need to answer that question. So the biggest question that we get asked, that I get asked, is why are you still living in Western New York? Why are you still living in the same town, in the same city, in the same place as all of these heinous, horrendous offenders, abusers, pedophiles? Why are you still living there? Um, It's a valid question, right? It's a valid question, and yet it's also like a culturally... It's the wrong question. Right. So let me just say, if that question is asked with genuine curiosity of like, huh, I'm sure there's a reason. I'm wondering what the reason is. Right. That's a different thing. So if you're a person who's asked that question truly wondering, okay. But if it's asked in the way of like, then why is she still living there? If all of these terrible things happened. I don't even think that. I think it's it's such a culturally acceptable question because that's the cultural norm. Like, the norm, like, what we're going to talk about today Mm -hmm. is that, like, people just, that's their go-to. Like, if, not even, like, sometimes it's skeptical, sometimes it's rude, sometimes it's genuinely out of care and concern. Like, why are you still here? Oh, my gosh. Go somewhere safe. Go somewhere safe, right. But the whole of it, the whole question is the wrong question. Um It's not, so I've had the privilege of talking to a lot of survivors of this specific type of abuse, and I don't know if there's any of them. I don't want to speak out of turn and say that all of them, but I don't know of any offhand that are not somewhat on the run, right? That have, they, most of them have left their hometown where the abuse took place, um, some of them are legitimately on the run in that they move state to state to state every few years. Um, I spoke to a woman who, again, very similar story to me, organized sexual abuse. Her family trafficked her. Um, she is actually the one that told us about uh, how to keep our cell phones safer and how to not be tracked. Um, and again, we've said this a million times, but all of these survivors 
it's the same thing. These people don't stop. They are, these survivors get threats. They get harassed. They get stalked. They get assaulted, right? All of these things continue to happen to them just like it has continued to happen to me. Um, and the easy answer is I, I have to run. Sure. Not easy answer. That's right. not an easy right. answer. But the the most obvious answer is I, I probably have to run because that's what our culture says, right? Um, but yeah, it, you know, they come up, the survivors have also come up against the same, the same obstacles and that, okay, I'm not going to run. I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to go to law enforcement. I'm going to go, um, to anti-trafficking organizations. I'm going to go try to find a mental health therapist. I'm going to blah, 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 whatever. And every single one of them has said they've run into the same roadblocks. They, uh, Alicia Cohen, who we interviewed on the podcast, if you haven't heard her episode, go back and listen, literally said that she was trying to bring concrete evidence against her father to the FBI, and the FBI agent said to her, you might just have to get over it. And by the way, if you bring us video or photographic evidence that your father took pornographic images of you, you could be arrested for possession of child pornography. Yeah. Wild. Absolutely ridiculous and insane. So I want to um, sort of help people have a more everyday context for this whole idea of the victim needing to now take drastic steps in order to keep themselves safe. Something that I think a lot of us have experienced or could at least relate to. Um, I regularly have conversations, have many times over the years, had conversations with teenage girls who are being harassed in some way by a boy in their school. And inevitably, the suggestion, when the young woman goes to the right people, she goes to the school to say, hey, this is happening to me and it's making me frightened, it's making me not safe. The offer from the school is number one, okay, let's sit you down with this person who's stalking and harassing you, mm -hmm. which is the equivalent of putting a battered woman in a room with her, uh, her aggressive, angry, abusive husband. Or a 12-year-old in a room with her angry, aggressive, trafficking, pedophile father. Right. Sure. Sure. Right. It is, makes no sense. It is not a safe plan. This is not a mediation issue. This is not a conflict between two people. This is a person who is being <laughs> right. aggressive and stalking and harassing. But okay, so the first option, okay, let's sit you down so we can mediate this conflict. And the second option is, well, if you still feel unsafe, we'll offer to move you, victim, out of the class that you're sitting in with this boy who is stalking and harassing you. Again, that is not the right approach. The, it should not be for the victim to have to be bothered, inconvenienced, lose anything more than has already been lost in order to be safe. But yet, somehow, that ends up being the suggestion. Right. It's like it doesn't occur to people that the, the offender should be the one who's inconvenienced. Right. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk more specifically ab about the specifics of why not leave here. I mean, there there are so many reasons to leave here, but why not leave here? Um, but I guess my rebuttal question is to, it, to that is why um, why shouldn't the offenders leave here? Yeah. Right? Why should you have to? Why should I have why to? Why should that have to be the answer? Um, when we started the podcast, it felt like finding my voice. It was finding my voice. Um, I had been keeping their secret for decades and I was no longer going to do that. Um, and so we did that and we 
told the world who these people, many of them were. We told the world what this is, what happened, and, you know, and all of the things. Um, they should be kicked out. <laughs> they should be on the run. They should worry about how society sees them. So how does that end up making you feel? Rage. Blinding rage. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's just a, it's a backwards and upside down. I mean, everything about this that we've learned is backwards and upside down, right? Like this is a total tangent rabbit hole, so we might want to cut this. But everything is backwards and upside down, right? Like when we talk about like the Grace investigation, um, I read an art article recently about uh, independent investigations and why they're so damaging. Um, we can link that article to the to the post for this. But hi, Silas. Uh, but uh, it's backwards and upside down that the very organization that's being investigated is the paying client of the investigators, right? It's backwards and upside down that the church that has active members who are offenders and pedophiles is the one that is footing the bill. They're the ones that have attorney-client privilege with the investigators. So read this article, folks, because you know we're just really high-leveling it, but Boz Javidian, who was one of the founders of Grace, is actually quoted in this article basically saying that that is one of the problems with these quote-unquote inde allegedly independent investigations, which is exactly that, that the, the church is the payer source. The church is the client. The church has the ability to pull the plug on the investigation if they're not happy. So again, the yeah. article talks about the Bob Jones mm -hmm. University investigation. And one of the things that they talk about is that Bob Jones tried to pull the plug on the investigation yeah. because they didn't like how it was going. This article also talks about, which I, I feel like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, my gosh, here it is. This is, you know, the reality that we've been trying to find words for and we've been saying for a year since we stepped out of the grace investigation. But um, the idea that these churches and these organizations are using these independent investigations as a risk management tool in gaining access to all of the dirty secrets so that they know what they might be up against. Right. Right. <laughs> they paint it as... We want to know. We're and neutral. We're neutral. We're an independent investigator. We're, you know, we have nothing to gain or lose here. Yes, you do. You have $70,000 on the table. And the church is paying you to get the dirty details to find out how much trouble are we really going to be in if this sees the light of day. Right. Right. That's the point. Yep. Okay. That was a total digression from this. From this uh, but it is part of the whole picture of... There is this backwards, upside down reality that somehow it ends up the victim on the hot seat and not the enablers or the offenders. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not yes. how it should be. Yes. Uh, we live in a culture that protects these offenders. It enables them. It empowers them. Uh, we have churches that not only continue to allow them in the building, but actually elevate them. Uh, they often paint these offenders as the victim. This is what these offenders do. We've talked about this ad nauseum, um, and we certainly talk about it in our trainings, that these offenders are closer to sociopathic, psychopathic offenders who uh, paint themselves as a victim, right? That's what narcissists do. We know this. Um, but these churches aid them in doing that by, oh, my gosh, we're praying for, set, put a name in there, right? right. 
uh, because his life is very difficult right now because he is unable to be the chaplain for Erie County Sheriff's Office or whomever, right? Uh, you know what I mean, though? Right. Like, they're just, they're... They're suffering because they're suffering. their life has been... Right, 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 right. Um, and by the way, the churches also paint themselves as the victims. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Cornerstone Church on Grand Island recently released their annual report for 2023. If you... Uh, you should go to their website and read it. It's it's wild, honestly. <laughs> like um, uh, one of the things that they say though is that their goal for 2024 is to repair the damage to their congregation because of quote Jane Doe's allegations. Guys, I'm Jane Doe. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, which they also have a uh, several members of their church who have an entire Facebook page that's dedicated to naming me and calling me out and trying to discredit me with absolutely ridiculous accusations. Um, but yeah, for the annual report, let's call it Jane Doe. Sure. Yeah. Um, and also their goal for 2024 is to repair their reputation in the community because, again, they're the victim here, right? right. The church is the victim. And so uh, they they need all the help they can get to repair that. So sad for them. <sighs> okay. Sarcasm. Sarcasm. Yes. Yeah. Insert sarcastic font. <laughs> um, so back to our question of why don't I move? Because um, truthfully, the crushing weight of this journey is... Um, is heavy. It is very, very heavy. A lot, a lot of days. Um, so why not leave? And my husband and I ask ourselves that question all the time. Sometimes we look at houses in Florida and we're like, why don't we live? Right. Why don't we live in Florida? Really? Because I don't want reptiles in my house. Like, I'll be honest with you, like, you're not about that hard pass. Yeah. Um, but truthfully, we ask ourselves that a lot and it's a super complex question at the moment. Um, right now it feels like defeat. It feels like if I run, if I have to uproot my children from a school district that we really love, that they really love, and that they're flourishing in, um, if we have to leave the friends that they have made and that they care about, uh, if we have to leave my in-laws and the family that is surrounding us, if I have to leave Lori and my support system um, and my friends and my husband's friends, then what, right? Yeah. Um, it shouldn't be necessary, and then you're just somewhere alone. Right. I um, I don't think it will stop. Again, I've talked to a lot of these women across the country who have said, I've moved to Alabama, I've moved to Ohio, I've moved to Delaware, I've moved to Maryland, and I continue to receive threats, and they find me, and, 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 and. So unless I legitimately go off the grid, which is not really feasible, um, they would just find me. They followed me to Virginia, they followed me to D.C., you know, uh, I don't think I would ever fully be able to let my guard down. Right. Maybe for a minute, but definitely not forever. But then not. If, if it would only be for a minute, then you couldn't ever because you would never know when. I would never would know. And I would have no support system. Like you said, I would be, we would be alone. We, I would not have a you. I would not have a Aunt Patty to run errands with. I would not have um, my friends to go skiing with or to spend the day with or... Um, help with my kids, right? I wouldn't have trusted people to help with my kids. Right. Um, so we, as a family, would have to give up so, so much um, when it shouldn't be us that has to give up anything. Right. Right? Quite the opposite. I've already given up so much. Yeah. Um, 
And the flip side of that coin is that living here, truly the crushing weight of every day is very heavy. Um, watching these churches carry on and these offenders live their lives as if they are not to blame is an absolute mind fuck. Yes, I'm going to say that. Say it. <laughs> and we'll just say explicit. <laughs> um, I mean, it's hard to have another word to describe that, really. Um, yeah. I mean, truth is, we had a pretty major, both of us, pretty major meltdowns this week because, you know, so we might cut this. You can choose to cut Go this. Go for but, it. You know, the reality is that for most of your life, you thought it was because of you. Yeah. And as you are healing and realizing it's not because of you, you are now facing the other kind of crushing weight of like, wait, do you mean to tell me that I have faced all of this and lived through all of this because people suck? Yep. Is that what we're saying right now? And that they continue to suck? They continue to. Like, that's the reality too is, yes, I'm realizing it's not because of me. It's not my fault. Um, and that is like, I don't even know what to do with that. Um, and uh, it continues, right? It, it's, it's, we are continuing to see offenders elevated. It, it's like screaming into the wind and I don't like it's and it's not that there hasn't been the support there has been we're so yeah. grateful we end every episode by saying that on purpose because we feel that deeply and it's a crushing weight of of it's still allowed to go on there are still people at the chapel David Drake is still doing his thing as the counseling pastor at the chapel right it's really it's a mind fuck. Mm -hmm. um, and the other part of that is safety planning. I live every single day of my life in a safety plan. And if I let that slip, I don't really know what's gonna happen. And again, I have the support system to be able to do that now that I didn't always, that I never had before. Um, but it's hard and it requires a lot of planning and it makes life stressful sometimes because there can be no unexpected changes of plans without it being a major disruption because there must always be a safety plan and there will always be a safety plan, but that's really hard and you end up feeling like a yep. child who has to be babysat. Oh, absolutely. I have told you before, I feel like my whole life hinges on people's, other people's lives I've never even met that I don't even know because it hinges, someone else's life hinges on that, who hinges on that. I mean, it's just a scheduling nightmare. And it's also this feeling of what happens when it falls through, right? Like what happens if that happens? Like we are not out of the woods. We are not out of the woods with this. And what am I going to do if that happens? Like if the worst or close to the worst case scenario happens again, what am I going to do? Like, Okay. So it used to feel like, okay, well, there's always the possibility of going to someone and telling about what happened. But now, does it feel like, now who? Who are we going to? Our podcast. That's what we're going Our to. Podcast. So you all who are listening, you are the plan for if something terrible happens. Unfortunately, it is unfortunately back to the court of public opinion and public safety because yeah. it's pretty terrible to think. We will continue safety plan, and the safety plan is tight, but there is still that fear. Yeah.
So again, why not move? Well, who's going to be the safety plan? Right. Somewhere right. else. But that's why these these other survivors have to literally be on the run because the you know, and again, I'm not saying like I don't know, maybe that is the best way to do it. I don't know which is the best way. I don't know what always what the right thing is. What I know is what's right for my family right now. Um, and that neither is a simple solution. Neither one is like, oh my God, just get like move pick up and yeah, and move across the country. Like who cares, you know? Um, that's not a simple solution. And yet again, like we said, it's a cultural norm to ask that question. It's normal for people to know and assume that a, a woman in a domestic violence situation is going to have to probably ultimately gather the things that she has quickly and her children and go to a shelter of some kind because, mm -hmm. or a safe person's house because, uh, right? Our legal system doesn't move safe. fast enough and doesn't, you know, um, it's the only way for her to be safe. So, oh, geez, like that's, that's the cultural norm though, is make the victim jump through the hoops. That's the cultural norm for everything, though. Make the victim jump through the hoops. Right. Right? Let's talk about, we've talked about this again before. Let's talk about rape kits, yeah? A victim gets sexually assaulted, and the thing that they're supposed to do in order to do it correctly is to go to a hospital, wait a million hours for a specific type of nurse to come, and then invade their body again so that our legal system can do its job. Because there has to be that kind of evidence because a woman's word is not enough. Absolutely. When rape is on the table. Right. If it's robbery and she names a person, no. Or if robbery, it's robbery and he names a right. person, that's a different. Story. That's a different story. <sighs> Rant. Yeah. Um, okay. What we know, though, in Western New York, is that there are still law enforcement who support and protect these offenders. Um, we recently heard that one of the named offenders was at a law enforcement fundraiser recently. And no one confronted him or asked him to leave. Um, I'm left to wonder if people even asked themselves what he was trying to achieve by being there. Um, I mean, if you were accused of sexual exploitation but innocent, would you attend a law enforcement event? Um, I see it as very much an angling for, for um, that approval, right? If you can have law enforcement on your side, then you've won. Um, there are people who are in high places who are afraid to speak up. There are people who have information who are, uh, it's a little bit of a taboo topic and so they just don't. Um, so yeah, it's crushing either way. Um, and it's not just me. <laughs> it's the reality that victims of organized abuse, of family controlled exploitation, of really any type of sexual violence face. Um, every single survivor of this type of abuse has said the same thing. So we know that it's not just me. Right. And I feel like, so people who are listening, you can take our word for that. And we've said this before. You can take our word for it. And again, to clarify, it's not as if we've discovered the research we're about to talk about and then we started going, oh, that's what happened, right? We discovered the research because we went looking for weight. Is there anything out there printed about I'll be honest happened? with you. I wish more than anything that it was the reverse. I mm -hmm. wish more than anything that when we were working with law enforcement, I wish more than anything that when we looked for help from anti-trafficking organizations, um, that we had any of this information. But it was because it was so hard and so impossible and telling my story uh, was so... 
met with such yeah, confusion. Yeah, so much that we went looking for uh, what, like, where is the help? And this is how we found the research. Right. So we've talked about Dr. Michael Salter, who is the criminologist from Australia. We talk about him a lot. Again, someday our dream is to have mm. him on our podcast. Someday, hopefully, that will happen. If you know him, please let us know. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and he talks about the fact that there is a significant failure in middle and high-income countries around the globe to address the needs of CSEC. And um, that those countries fail to address the problem often of powerful people being a part of the problem. So we've all heard of Jeffrey Epstein. Um, I was listening to, again, if you go to Michael Salter's website, it's Organized Abuse. Um, I think it's an S. So it's Australian. So it's yeah. Organized with an S, Abuse. Um, and he, um, there's a video there of him on the Nick Bryant podcast. And um, on there, he talks to Nick Bryant, and Nick Bryant talks about the fact that he, Nick Bryant himself went to major news outlets years before Epstein was rearrested because he had Epstein's black book, and none of the major media outlets wanted to talk to him. Nobody would do anything about it. And because, again, it was just ignored and pushed under the rug, how many more kids, women, were now exploited? Um, so... This is the United States, it is the UK, it is Australia, it is, it is all kinds of places around the country. Um, it, there are countries who are trying to address this, so we're gonna talk a little bit about that. So Dr. Salter states that Australia established a royal commission looking into institutional responses to child sexual abuse, and that was convened between 2012 and 2017. He said that it was very well funded and did a good job in his estimation of looking at child sexual abuse, but still did not drill down into family-controlled CSEC. He also talks about the United Kingdom he said that um, the United Kingdom established the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse, the acronym being ICSA. Um, <laughs> that was in, I know, England and Wales, and it functioned between 2014 and 2022. I was looking into how the country's institutions handled their duty of care to protect children from sexual abuse. So apparently immediately before the commission was established in 2014, then Prime Minister David Cameron was quoted as saying, I think this is a waste of time. Great. Good to know that the prime minister thinks it's a cool. waste of time to look into how we're handling child sexual abuse. Totally. Yep. Mm -hmm. And Boris Johnson, who was the UK prime minister until 2022, said that he thought the money that was being spent was, quote unquote, being faffed up the wall, <laughs> which Dr. Salter translated as being pissed up the wall in UK slang. Okay. So clearly the... Uh, the independent inquiry was not supported by leadership. In fact, there were there were controversies about who was appointed to lead the inquiry because the people being named to lead were members of the British aristocracy who also happened to have personal, family, and professional ties with men under suspicion of child abuse. <gasps> so one example of a powerful leader in the UK that was under a cloud of scandal. Um, so this is just one person. So this is not somebody who was chosen to lead, but again, these are people that others who were chosen to lead this inquiry may have had links to. So um, there have been dozens of substantial allegations spanning from 1961 to 1992 made against Ted Heath. Heath, he died in 2005, but he was prime minister 
1970 and 1974 and led the Conservative Party until he was ousted by Margaret Thatcher in 1975. So apparently there are some very credible allegations against this man of pr um, preying on children, sexually assaulting adults. Um, and Dr. Salter said that the UK media was hostile to these allegations against high profile individuals and have taken a skeptical line against victims and survivors. It's not just here, it mm -hmm. is everywhere. Um, there, we've quoted the Canadian Center for Child Protection before. Um, again, Canada is trying to figure out their response to some of this. I don't know that we have quoted the U.S. State Department article, so... Um, I don't think we have, and I think we should, because when we found this article, actually it was in January, literally, I think right. we were in Boston, like, prepping for our next day training, and we, like, stumbled on this article, and it was like... <gasps> like we need this needs to be how are we so stuck <sighs> when this is out there is but it's like felt. one article like a one-off tab on the u.s state department's so in 2021 the united states state department published a fact sheet entitled navigating the unique complexities in familial trafficking so this fact sheet is quoted to say the anti-trafficking field has identified and delineated the recruitment, grooming, and exploitation practices traffickers use in various scenarios of both sex and labor trafficking. Based on this knowledge, the field has adapted anti-trafficking efforts to support survivors in specific, appropriate, and effective ways. However, familial trafficking, which is unique and just beginning to be understood in the field, is difficult to identify because it takes place within family networks and victimizes children, many of whom are under 12 years of age, who may not realize they are victims. Because of this, the indicators for familial trafficking are different than indicators for other types of trafficking. The United States mm -hmm. government mm -hmm. acknowledges this reality, and yet we continue to bash our head against the wall. Do you know what, though? What? An ex-FBI agent said that he investigated one of the offenders, oh. and um, he's good. He's good to go because oh. he talked to the offender, oh. and uh, he never talked to me. Oh. Um, well. He's, he's ex-FBI, so he doesn't actually have access to anything, um, and all he did was, like, have a conversation with the offender, but, yeah, that was his, that was his conclusion, oh. so. Yeah, that's good investigating. Totally. Right Very good police work. Yeah. Being very sarcastic. Oh my right? god, I know. So it's not just me. And that is why Mezzo. That is why what we are that we are doing what we're doing. And I feel like every single episode, this is how we end. Yep. <laughs> um, that is why we educate any and all law enforcement that will listen, which by the way, many are. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're very grateful for that. We educate teachers and healthcare workers and social services organizations so that all the future victims who are coming after me don't have to face all of this. They don't have to answer the question why don't you leave, right? We are hoping to pave the way for them so that they can stay right where they are or wherever in the world they're happy and the onus will be on the offenders. We are doing amazing things, which is empowering and it is incredible. Today specifically, we yeah. have two conference presentations, one an anti-trafficking organization and in- It's international. It's international. And one um, for college professors and college students and people in that sphere. Going into them, social justice. Going yeah. into social justice, right. So we're out here doing the things yeah. while simultaneously bashing our head against this wall. Yeah. But we will not let it crush us. I will not let it crush me. 
I'm saying that for the world to hear because there are days that feel like it's going to. There are days that it feels like it's going to. That This week was one of those weeks. This was one of those weeks, yeah. Um, we spent a lot of time dragging each other out of the pit. Yeah, because as sarcastic as we sound and as uh, flippant as we maybe, maybe make it seem sometimes, um, it is not. And we can do all of the things with Mezzo, and we are doing all the things with Mezzo, and we are educating the goddamn world, um, and it will never rectify uh what has happened and what is happening. It will never make it okay. It will never, there was no mezzo for me. There was no organization that could withstand this wind. There was no help um, until I met you. And even together, it has been windy. So um, it will, it will never be okay. It will never Everything that we do from this point on is for the future victims. Um, and yes, it's empowering. And yes, it's amazing. And yes, I would trade not trade it for anything. Um, but it will still never undo the damage that's been done. And it also doesn't make it okay every time we hear another report of another way that this is allowed to go on. Yeah that the offenders are allowed to get on with their lives, that the enablers and their flying monkeys are just continuing on with their lives as if they have no accountability for what has happened. It still requires us to walk that out and deal with the incredible frustration of that. And yeah, and just the emotional toll, right? I mean, the toll that it takes on us, emotionally for sure, the physical toll that it takes the remembering that that's the reality and that, you know, and having to sift through all of that in my head and simultaneously be educating the world. Like it's, it's a lot. Um, but, uh, we will still safety plan and we will still keep yelling even if it's into the wind and we keep going, which is truly, um, the thing that we kind of always come to. I asked you the other day, what happens now? Because we both kind of fell off the cliff and you said we, we keep going. Because <laughs> what else? Yeah. But it doesn't make it feel okay when we hear about one more person who is convinced this didn't happen, but they won't listen to the podcast. Oh yeah, I just I'm, uh, forgot to mention that too. The retired FBI agent didn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> Neither did his wife. But so he hasn't listened to the podcast, hasn't talked to the victim, doesn't have any information, but totally cleared this offender. Yes, let him be around children. Let's do that. And then there are going to be people who be people who listen to him because he's Ooh, a retired FBI agent. A he would not. Thousand and ten percent. Again, here it is, guys. You feel the whiplash? Oof. Do you feel the whiplash? We've gone from how heavy and sad and just crushing it can feel to over here frustrated and we're just silas gonna... just came out from the dark he because he's like i can feel like the tension in this room right now like he's worried this has this uncanny ability to be attuned to kate especially like yeah. he can just tell when she's a spirit animal he is we're connected is. i know um i also it is also very hard every single time we hear about one more person who's decided based on their own perspective what they would do mm -hmm. if they were in kate's shoes and therefore they don't believe it because you haven't done that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That we yep. still have to we have to work through that every single time. Yeah. Or when one more person who refuses to be on 
be uncomfortable and have those hard conversations. Mm -hmm. Very hard. Or when one more person has decided that Kate's lying after only speaking to the offenders. Why? Why does yeah. that keep happening? Well, it keeps happening because, again, the research bears out this is not just a me problem. This is not just these offenders. Guys, there's a playbook for this, right? Like, these people, this is what these networks of offenders do. There is no part of me that believes that any of this is unique to me. This is unique to this heinous crime. This is unique to family-controlled trafficking and organized sexual abuse. But the research bears out that this is what these people do. Read Michael Salter's book, my God, right? Even if you are a naysayer, which I don't know how many naysayers really are listening to us anymore. But those of you who have naysayers in your life, send them even to his website mm -hmm. because maybe mm -hmm. they won't read the book. But watch some of his videos. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, it, this is the reality of how these people operate. And they intentionally uh, place themselves in positions of power. I mean, how many times do we have to say this? They intentionally place themselves in position of power and status and, you know, to no, it couldn't be. There are people who have said, um, yeah, Kate absolutely was trafficked by her parents. Um but this offender was definitely not part of it. I know him. How He's a do nice you guy. get there in your brain? Like, oh, she what made a mistake? Like, I don't even know how you get there. I really don't. Like, I I genuinely don't know how you get there. Um, but Except we've heard are that so arrogant to think that they couldn't be fooled. Yeah, and if you think that, please, for the love of God, go back and listen to our deception episode with uh, Zach Carr. He's a literally an expert in deception and please go listen to that because you are dead wrong that you if you think that you couldn't be deceived by somebody like this how many people have talked about i'm on a super rabbit hole right now but how many people in that documentary which i didn't watch uh have talked about ted bundy right um, yeah he yeah. was a normal guy he was so nice he was a leader in the community. How about people local to Western New York, the bike path rapist? Jeez. How many people talked about the bike path rapist? He was a like baseball coach and Of course he stuff. was. Right. Thanks for hanging with yeah. us as we you do felt our whiplash today, yeah. I feel like. Like, wow. like a very high level version of it. Um, we appreciate all of you so so much because really you are very much what keeps us going. Yeah, there's so much that keeps us going and Having a voice still and having uh, the ability to have power and voice matters. So even on the days that it is crushing. And we're going to keep advocating so others have it too. Yeah. If you or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P, to 233-733.